You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Well, welcome. We're excited to have you with us uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, It is Application Sunday, and if you're a visitor with us, then you're probably like, what is Application Sunday? Well, every six weeks here at Sovereign Hope, we have what we call Application Sunday, and so we, we do things a little bit differently on those days. So if this was a normal Sunday, we would have our worship band up here. We would start with singing, and we would worship through song for several, uh, several songs to kick off the service. We'd have a special prayer time. We'd move into teaching time uh, with a time of worship at the end through song. Uh, today, though, Application Sunday, we start with some application review and teaching time. We'll transition to a time of singing and worshiping as we partake of the Lord's Supper um, and so our, our service will be a little bit shorter than normal today. And normally, we would have breakfast being served right now. So normally, we would have breakfast from 1030 to 11 o'clock, just some extended fellowship. We're switching that up today, and we're having lunch served. So if you're visiting with us, you are invited to stay after our service today. We've got pizza and salad and water. And so we're just going to have a church-wide lunch right after the service today. I encourage you to stick around and stay for that extended fellowship we're shooting to get done here around 11.30. Normally, we would get done 11.45, 11.50, so we're going to get done a little bit early, move into a time of, of eating pizza and just enjoying some extended fellowship. So you're welcome to stay. We'd love for you to stay. Uh, we've got food for you to stay, so you're encouraged to stay. If you're visiting, to get to know us a little bit better, we'd love to, to meet you if we haven't had a chance to meet you. All right? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, like I said, it is Application Sunday, and so that's a time for us to essentially review the last five sermons real quickly with a goal of ending on specific application for what should we do with these last five sermons, right? What we want to be faithful to do here at Sovereign Hope is hear the Word and do the Word, right? We don't want to be hearers only, We want to be faithful doers. We want to follow through on what God is calling and commanding us to do and be. And so this is a day where we just pause and say, let's make sure we're doing that. Let's make sure we're being faithful to do the word. Let's be faithful to be obedient to what God's called us to be. So we have been in the book of Exodus for a little over a year. We've wrapped up our time in Exodus over the last couple of weeks. So today is truly our last Sunday in Exodus. And so we're going to say goodbye to this book We're probably most likely going to move into a short series of just some independent sermons, and then we're going to end up in the book of Acts. So we're going to the book of Acts next, which I announced um, last week. Exodus 34 is where we started several weeks ago on Christmas Eve uh, with this season of application. And so I want to draw your attention back there because it's a super important passage um, that gives us great insight into who God is. All right, so hopefully you're there in Exodus 34. I'm going to pray for us to kick us off, and we'll jump right in. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the time in your word that we get today. We thank you for the community that's available to us uh, through the local church. We thank you for the body of believers that uh, reside here and worship you here. Um, Lord, we know that others in our life is so important for us to remain faithful to you. God, we thank you for our members that are here today, for our visitors that are joining us as well. God, I pray that you would allow today to be fruitful as we look into your word. pray that you would remind us and teach us further what you want us to, to know and to be. And God, I pray that you would give us a great time of extended fellowship afterwards where we can uh, encourage one another uh, as we eat together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 34. 
Uh, this is where we saw Moses and God having dialogue about Moses desiring to see God and God responding with really just further revelation about his character. Who am I? I'm good. We talked about God being intentional to reveal himself as goodness, right? And we see that goodness defined and described further, starting in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who God is, right? Our summary sentence from this week on Christmas Eve, the thrill of hope found in God's revelation of who he is and what he is doing should lead to ongoing worship as we anticipate the fulfillment of the awesome things he has determined to do for us as his people. Notice what the the passage continues to reveal. It says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Moses says, that's great. That's who you are, a God of mercy and grace and goodness. Be that way to us. Accept us. Be that way to us. And, and God responds in verse 10 and says, behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Now, we won't take time to turn there again, but you'll remember in Luke 2, 25 through 37, that's where on Christmas Eve, we went to that section where Jesus is brought to the temple, which parallels so much of what we saw in Exodus, the whole reason they would have even been at the temple for the dedication of the firstborn that was implemented in Exodus, right? So we read that in Luke 2, we wouldn't really know what that meant if we didn't know the Old Testament. So we've said the Old Testament's so relevant because it helps us to understand the New Testament, right? So Jesus is brought to the temple and we find individuals there who are anticipating and waiting for these awesome things that God's going to continue to do. When is God going to send the Messiah? And they see the Messiah come in the form of Jesus, right? This thrill of hope is in God revealing who he is and what he is doing, and the people who hear what he is and what he is doing, they worship. Moses is worshiping here, right? Simeon and Anna are worshiping in Luke 2 as they anticipate these awesome things that he's going to do for his people. We, as people of God today, we discover hope in the revealed character of God. This hope is built on who he is and what he will do for us too, right? His good character, his awesome plans that have been revealed to us in Scripture, Worshiping Jesus is our appropriate response to this character of God that's revealed to us here. In spite of our sin, he's chosen to covenant with us. We ought to believe him and to trust him and to obey him. We ought to anticipate these unfolding plans of God and to wait patiently and prayerfully for them to unfold before us. That's what we see here in Exodus 34, an awesome, good God who, who's merciful and gracious to his people. Now, We've talked a lot over the last few weeks that God doesn't um, do a covenant with them because of their worthiness, right? Because he had already done the covenant with them, and then they fall into that idolatry with the golden calf, 
And then he requires nothing from them as far as any good works that they're supposed to perform to make up for it. God just steps in, right? He deals with the sin, and then he continues to move forward in covenant relationship with them, right? God's covenant with us is not based on who we are. It's based on who he is, right? His character of goodness and and mercy and grace, but he's a God of justice, right? He's a God who will not let sin go undealt with. And ultimately the gospel points us to who Jesus is through the justice of God. Jesus is the wrath absorber for us. Jesus steps in and bears the responsibility for our sin that we ought to bear. We worship Jesus because he is the embodiment of this description of God here in Exodus 34, a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As we continue to unpack Exodus 34, we saw what this looks like for us in 2024. If you don't seek to follow the Lord, then you can't rightly claim his good presence in your life. But if you will determine to be intentional in the ways you seek to obey, you will find all the good you need as you face more in 2024, right? So we've talked about how as we stepped into this new year, there's, there's trials and difficulties and challenges and temptations that will undoubtedly come our way. How do we, how do we go through those things? How do we approach those things? Well, we remember that God is good. We remember that God is is intentional in his covenant with his people. So we can approach these things uh, believing that he will be good to us in in the midst of these challenging things. Now, we can only claim his goodness in our life if we're seeking to follow him, if we're seeking to be obedient to him. And that's what the rest of Exodus 34 talks about. The idea that he is going to expel the people of Canaan, but the responsibility on Israel's part is to live separated from them, right? It talks about how they're not to have unholy mixings with the people of the promised land. As you look in verse 11, it says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. He says, be careful with the people you're spending time with, right? He talks about tearing down the gods that would lead you astray. We've spent a lot of time talking about what idolatry would look like for us today. Probably not bowing down to golden images, but certainly the, the created things of the world that we enjoy, are we're very susceptible to putting them uh, into a higher priority list than they should be in our life, right? And so we're, we're to be very careful that we tear down the gods of this world that would lead us astray. We're to be very careful that we don't give ourselves intimately to these things. He talks about not joining yourselves with the daughters uh, and the sons of these people of Canaan, because why? They will lead you astray after their false gods. He also talks about intentional ways to worship, right? He talks about the feasts that they're supposed to keep. He talks about the Sabbath that they're supposed to keep. He talks about the ways that they're supposed to worship. Now, he said, hey, these things are for Old Testament Israel. These things we don't see carried over into the New Testament. So we're not supposed to keep these feasts today. Jesus has fulfilled these things. But we did say that we do have a huge responsibility as we step into 2024 to be intentional in the ways that we worship, to be intentional in the ways that we seek to worship, to to be a part of a local church and to worship the way that local church is worshiping, to, to immerse yourself in the culture of that church, right? So we've got all kinds of opportunities here at this church for you to learn and to grow, to be a part of our Sunday gatherings, to be a part of our small group gatherings, to be a part of our discipleship gatherings. These are ways that we can intentionally worship the Lord this year, to be a part of those opportunities. 
This passage in Exodus 34 not only tells us who God is, it tells us what we are to be as well. We're to trust God that he's going to make his plans come to fruition in 2024. He says, I'm going to get rid of these people in the promised land. That's not in question. The only thing that's in question is, will the people of Israel follow faithfully? Will the people of Israel follow the plans of God? And so we ought to then take care ourselves to not work against God's plans this year, right? To see this is what God wants to do, make sure that we're aligning ourselves with his plans. And then to think about specific ways to obey him in 2024, to to look for the ways to worship him faithfully. So from application a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you to look at your rhythm of life, to look at the things that you're doing on a weekly basis. Is there any potential compromise or threat of compromise that needs to be removed, right? To, <clears throat> to do what God cautions the Israelites to do, to, to assess the situation and say, have I given myself to any potential compromise? Or have I left any threat of compromise in my life that I need to remove? He says, we're about to go into the promised land. We got to make sure that these people don't become influential in your life. We got to make sure their gods aren't attractive to you. As you go about your week, have you allowed unhealthy relationships to influence you? Have you allowed unhealthy and unholy activity to potentially gain a, a foothold in your life where it's become a God to you? This passage would remind us to be very honest with ourselves as we assess what it is we're doing as a normal pattern of life. Two weeks ago, we hit like five or six chapters to finish this study up, right? Why did we do it so quickly? Well, because much of 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, those chapters are almost verbatim from what we've already studied earlier in the book of Exodus. Remember, earlier in the book of Exodus, God commands them to build the Ark of the Covenant, to construct the tabernacle, to put together the clothes for the priest. So he gives all these instructions about how to do it. And then verses chapter 35 through 40 is a lot of Israel doing it. And it's really neat the way that it's written because it's written almost word for word. God tells them earlier in Exodus to do it this way. We're told in chapter 35 on, they did it this way, right? It's a reminder to us that when we're told to do something by God, we ought to be very intentional to do it exactly as he tells us to do it, right? But we said from a summary sentence standpoint, God's grace in response to our sin should compel us to follow his commands thoroughly, give of ourselves sacrificially, and trust him with the circumstances of our lives wholeheartedly as a means of making his glory known to all. Remember, he's, he's staying in covenant with the people. He's showing grace to the people, not because they've done anything right for him, right? It's all based on his character, But in response to his gracious character, he's telling them, do everything I want you to do. And they do it. They follow his commands thoroughly, right? They they follow his commands. They don't do um, all this obedient stuff and then get his forgiveness. They already have it. But they then do all the obedient stuff in response to his forgiveness. After failing God and after experiencing his forgiveness, what happens next? They start being obedient to him. They hear his instructions. They do all that he commands. They hear it well. They follow through to the fullest. The Bible repeatedly says they did exactly like he said. Now, what's really cool, too, about this passage is they were responding to needs that their leadership were telling them about, right? So Moses comes forward and says, hey, to do what God wants us to do, we need your help. We need you 
to participate. We're going to need some treasures that you have. We're going to need some talent that you have. And we're going to need some time that you have too. So they appeal to the people. God doesn't just drop a tabernacle from heaven and say, worship me here. He gives them the blueprints and says, build this tabernacle. Use the the materials that I've already blessed you with. Use the talent that I've already blessed you with. Use the time that I've given to you and make this happen. Right, so we talked about how that looks in the New Testament, right? That, that we all have various treasures that God has blessed us with, different resources that he's given to us. We all work different jobs. We all make different types of, of um, incomes. But God has given to us homes and vehicles and, and even toys and tools and, and things that we have access to. God would tell us, hey, listen for, for ways to use that for my glory. Listen for ways to, to use what I've given to you and to give back, right? Because we said these are slaves, right? Like these aren't people who've worked their whole life and saved up their whole life, and, and now we're tapping into to what, what is theirs. God gave them all this stuff when they walked out of Egypt, right? As they're leaving, God compels the Egyptians to give them jewels, to give them gold, to give them all this stuff. Now, a lot of times we fall into the trap of thinking, well, I've worked for all this. I've done all the time for this. I'm going to hang on to this because this is my stuff. This is my time. This is my resources. This is my talent. I went to school for this, or I put in the time to learn this. And we lose sight of the fact that we've been given all those things just like Israel, right? Yes, we've been given the opportunity to work and to work hard, and we've been given opportunities to make money, But ultimately, he's the source of our daily needs, right? He's the source of our provision. And so he too would ask us to be willing to give back in whatever ways we can to serve him faithfully. Israel responds and does that. They bring uh, jewels and gold and they bring their talent. They bring their volunteerism like, hey, sign me up. I'll I'll help sew the priest's clothing together. Sign me up. I'll help build and construct. And they get to worship God by doing it. Now, we said that <clears throat> the temple, the, the tabernacle, the temple would have been glorious as these things unfold in the Old Testament, but we saw that Jesus is the better temple, right? He's the better tabernacle. What were they building this for? They were building it so that God would come dwell with them. We have Jesus who came to dwell with us. We have Jesus who lives inside of us now. We don't, we don't need, as beautiful as our renovation has been over this year, right? We started, uh, for those of you that are just visiting, we started 2023 right here, And we didn't have this over here opened up, and we were all meeting right here, which wouldn't be possible with who's here today. And so we had people who came, people who who gave their talent and gave their time to make this happen so that we could all meet together in one room. You gave of your treasure so that we had the financial resources to do this. We didn't have to take a loan out. We didn't have to get uh, money borrowed. We had the cash on hand to be able to do all of this, right? And now we can worship together. But as great as this is, man, this isn't needed for God to dwell with us. God dwells inside of us. He's the better tabernacle, right? This passage ends, Exodus 40, this long section that we looked at a couple weeks ago, it ends with the glory of God dwelling on the tabernacle. Verse 34 of chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, 
and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The book ends with assurances and promises that God's presence stays with his people and that God will guide us and direct us wherever he wants us to go. And we can trust his guidance. We can rely upon his direction, that he'll move us and he'll pause us when we need to. At times, Israel was on the march. They were on the move. Other times, they were camped out and they were ready and and ready to move, but, but God had settled them in a spot for a particular time period. God does the same thing for us as well. I challenge you as a point of application this week, are you faithfully seeking to carry out the instructions given to you with a goal of thoroughness and excellence, right? Do we, do we do this like Israel did? Do we do things that we're asked to do by people over us to the fullest? Thoroughness, excellence, that's what they did. They says they did everything that the Lord asked them to do. Everything they asked them to do. My job would be a lot simpler if people did everything they were supposed to do. I spent a good portion of my, my life as a principal getting people to do the things that they're supposed to do, right? Reminding teachers, this is what you're supposed to do. Reminding students, this is what you're supposed to do. I could work myself out of a job if people just started doing what they're supposed to do. Do we have that approach? Do we bring that to the environments that we go to after a Sunday? Are we part of the solution, not part of the problem when it comes to living out our lives for his glory? And then last week, We wrapped everything up with some lasting images of Exodus. The lasting images of Exodus should remind us that God hears the cries of his people and he cares, that he is capable of doing anything and will absolutely do everything to ensure his good presence is experienced by us. That's what we've learned in this long study of Exodus that God hears the cries of his people and he cares. That's where the book starts, right? They're in bondage, they're in slavery, they're crying out to God, where are you? Will you show up? Will you do something about this? We know God heard them, but we also know that God had them in that time period for a specific reason. We're told in Genesis, it's gonna be 400 years of slavery, right? So it's not that he was deaf to them for 400 years. He, He knew where they were and what they needed for 400 years. And at the end of the 400 years, he responds to their cries, And he cares. He shows he cares. And then throughout the book of Exodus, we've seen his power on display through the plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, that he can do anything he wants to do. But we also see that he will do everything needed to ensure that his good presence is experienced by us. Even to the point where he doesn't do things the way that we would choose, and he doesn't always put his power on display like he could, right? Remember we said that when 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 they leave Egypt, They go the long way to the promised land, which puts them at the Red Sea where they're trapped when the Egyptians come pursuing. They could have gone a different way. It would have been a lot faster to go to the promised land that way. But the text tells us God did not want them to encounter war too early. The text says if they did, they would have gone back to Egypt, right? God knows what we need. He knows what our faith needs, and he puts us in spots to grow us and to protect us right? He tells them, hey, when we go into the promised land, I'm not going to give it to you overnight. He says, if I gave it to you overnight, that land would turn into a wasteland because it would be too much too quickly and you wouldn't be able to take care of it. He says, I'm going to give it to you a little bit at a time. Some of us would like to have everything we want all at the same time. God says, too much for you, you wouldn't handle it very well, right? 
Some of you, some of you could be in a position where you know that to be true, right? Like if God just gave you everything, man, you would abuse it and it would become a God in your life. Oftentimes God says, I'm going to give it to you in phases and stages because it's the best thing for you. Because what is his ultimate goal for us? It's to experience his goodness. He wants his good presence in our life and he'll do everything necessary. We've seen throughout this study, God's purpose for his people is freedom with a deep, meaningful relationship with him. He wants to set us free from bondage to the gods of this world, to keep us free from going forward uh, as we learn to responsibly live in both conduct um, and service with a mindset of contentment rather than complaining in our trials and testings, right? He wants to set us free from our sin. He wants to keep us free from our sin. He wants us to live responsibly in the ways that we conduct ourselves, in the ways that we seek to serve one another. He wants us to be content, to not be people that complain, to trust his goodness. We said he hears the cries of his people. We pray to a God who remembers, who sees, who knows, and knows what to do. He's a God who cares. He cares enough to respond in the right ways. He's a God who's doing everything to show his goodness. His tablets, his Ten Commandments, they show his holiness, right? His tabernacle shows his grace and mercy, right? Here's what it looks like to live perfectly for me, and you ain't going to do it. So here's the tabernacle. Here's where the sacrifices will be offered. Here's where the provision of grace and mercy will be extended. He so wants his good presence with us that when we falter and when we fail, he makes the provision so that he can keep coming back to us. We said his application last week, remember the God of Exodus is never going to leave us or forsake us either. We also said, don't be normal people, be special people for his glory. Don't be conformed to the things of this world. Don't be conformed to the Canaanites. Be transformed, be different. I was uh, riding home from basketball practice with Abram this week, and we were talking about his memory verse for this week. It was Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so we were kind of talking through, he, he memorized it. But when I asked him to explain it to me, we were kind of working through, well, what does this verse even mean? And so he asked me, he's like, Dad, what does conformed mean? Like, what does that mean? And so we talked about like, hey, what the Lord's telling you to do is to not be like the world, to be different, to be transformed. And I said, well, how do, you, how do you be transformed? And so we had conversation about, hey, we need our minds to be changed by the word. Otherwise, we'll think like the world and we'll act like the world, right? Be different, be, be special people, not normal people, all right? So that's a quick recap of the last four weeks. I wanna give you the things to remember and the things to do as we wrap up, and then we're gonna transition into a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, and then shortly after that, we'll be able to, to eat some lunch together. Let's look at four things that I want you to remember from these last several weeks. Number one, God's character is good, making him worthy of clinging to in faith and coming back to when I falter. God's character is good, making him worthy of clinging to in faith and coming back to when I falter. That, that description of who God is, it should be, if we're, if we're really comprehending what he's saying, I'm a God who's, who's merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love and mercy, who he had previously in the last chapter said, basically, sum all that up, I'm good. Like, if we really comprehend that, that's a God that we don't want to leave. That's a God that we don't want to fall away from. That's a God that we do want to trust. That's a God who we do want to follow. That's a God who we do want to obey. 
But we also need to understand and know that this is the type of God he is when we falter, when we fail. When, when, I, when I do sin, that I can come back to him. That he's standing there once again like he did to Israel saying, who's on my side? If you want to be on my side, come on back. After they had fallen into the sin of the golden calf, right? Before he enacts judgment, he says, hey, who wants back on this side? Who wants back on the good side? Who wants to be with the good God? He gives that invitation to those people before he, before he responds to the sin. His character is good, meaning we should cling to him and come back to him when we fail, right? He, he's good. And, and kids and, and youth, as you continue to grow up and get older, you're going to be exposed to the temptations of doubting his goodness, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fall prey to thinking like, man, he tells me I can't do this. He tells me I can't do that. Like, is he really good? This passage reminds us that he absolutely is, and we should cling to him. Number two, God's plans will be accomplished, so I need to make sure I'm working with him rather than against him. God is going to do what he wants to do, right? This group of people end up rebelling again, and they don't go to the promised land. They're all going to die before they get to the promised land, but you know what? Israel, as a body of people, they do go into the promised land. Why? Because his plans won't fail. They won't stop. He will accomplish what he sets out to do. And if we don't get him on board, if we don't want to be a part of it, he'll deal with that. But it's not going to stop his plans. He does put his people in the promised land. He does extinguish the people he says he's going to extinguish. He does accomplish what he sets out to do. So for us as individuals, we need to say, I want on his team. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be left behind. Number three, God's purpose for my life is for me to find ways to use what he has given me for his glory. That's our purpose. While we're here on this earth, our purpose is to bring him glory. How do we do that? We use our time. We use our talent. We use our treasures for him. Our time and our talent, our treasures look differently, right? The times that we have available look different based on our work schedules. Some of you are available at times that other people aren't. Our, our, our talents look way different. There's people in this church that can do things that other people can't. Our treasures look different. How do we use what God has given to us for his glory? That's our purpose. That's what we're called to. Number four, God's presence in my life is most important, and I must do everything I can to follow his presence well. Remember this. Don't forget it. His presence is the most important thing. Right? This, this world, this life doesn't make sense if it's not with him. Right? Remember Moses says, hey, we're not going into, because remember God says, hey, I'll give you the promised land. I'll put you there. I'm not going to go with you, though. He tests them. He says, do you want my stuff without me? Because they had given themselves to the golden calf and had basically disregarded God. And he says, okay, let's go with that line of thinking. Do you want the promised land without me? And what does Moses say? He says, hey, we ain't going if you're not going. Like, we don't want it without you. That should be our mindset as well. We don't want this life unless God goes with us. We don't want any of his blessings unless they come directly from him being in our life. Don't forget, his presence is most important, and we ought to do everything that we can to make sure that we are in his presence, following his presence well. Okay, so these are the things to remember. How do we do these things? Okay, so our, our, our section on what we do always correlates with the things that we remember. So number one, his character is good. He's worthy of clinging to. He's worthy to come back to. What do we do? Be regularly reminding yourself that God is good and that God is forgiving in the ways you seek to transform your mind. 
Man, you can't get to a point where you just say, you know what, I think I know enough about the Bible. I don't have to read it. I don't have to study it. I don't have to come to church regularly because I don't feel like I learn new stuff when I go. It's all stuff I've heard before. Let me tell you, like, our minds have to be regularly transformed by the things we already know. It doesn't rely upon hearing new things. Most of the time, it's relying upon hearing old things. Because, you know, the two main ways that Satan attacks, he attacks by getting us to doubt God's goodness, right, and to doubt God's grace, right? He wants us to, to just like Adam and Eve, question God's goodness to where we say, hey, I want to I wanna walk away from him. I don't want to cling to him. I want to fall away. I want to, I want to falter. I want to get away from him, right? And then when we get in that position, right? So once Satan wins that battle of us thinking that God's not good, so maybe I need to move away from him, what's his next, next plan of attack? God will never take you back, right? So that if we ever get to the point where we're like, oh, maybe he is good. Maybe I should have never left him. Maybe I should go back to him. The next ploy by Satan is to convince us he would never take us back, You see that? Like, that's Satan's attack. He's not good, and he's not gracious. He's not merciful. Remember in Zechariah where the high priest uh, Joshua is standing before God, and the picture is Satan's next to him doing what? Accusing him. Accusing him of his filthy garments, like, you're not good enough. What does God say? Take that dirty rag off of him and put my righteousness on him instead. Satan's like, what? Like, He's not, he, he can't take you because you're not good enough. And God says, no, you're not good enough, but my son is, right? Like we need to be reminded of this regularly because we're tempted to walk away from him. And then when we do walk away from him, we're tempted to believe that he would never take us back. We need to be reminding ourselves constantly he's good and he's grace. He's good and he's gracious because Satan would have us to believe opposite of that. Number two, be regularly assessing your worship patterns and your pleasure patterns to ensure your love is for him and not what comes from him. Right? We don't, we want, we don't want to work against him. We want to work with him. We want to work for him. So we have to assess ourselves regularly. Am I worshiping faithfully? Am I engaging in this world faithfully? Or am I loving this world like an idol? Be regularly assessing your worship patterns, your pleasure patterns. Make sure that they're in line with God's will and God's word. Number three, be regularly listening for new ways to use the unique aspects of you for the needs that are continually popping up around you. You just got to be in the habit of listening for needs, right? We post needs as a church. Needs pop up outside of this church as well. You're constantly listening. How can I use me for God's glory? How can I use the unique aspects of me the things that he's given to me, how do I use those to serve others? Number four, be regularly examining the motives for why you are doing what you do and invite wisdom into your life to help ensure you follow him. Here's the thing, man, I wish I could tell you that when you leave today, there's a little cloud outside that's gonna tell you where to go next and it's God's presence. Israel had that, we don't. What do we have? Well, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but I also have a a tricky, deceitful heart that sometimes is hard to discern if if that's the Holy Spirit or not, right? So there's times when I'm trying to do God's will, but my heart can be deceptively wicked. So, So how do I determine if I'm following God's will or following what I want? Man, I invite wisdom into my life. I gotta have people that I can invite into my life and say, hey, help me in this decision making. Help me know what I should do because I want to go with him, not against him. 
We got we to be humble enough types of people who will invite wisdom to say, help me in the decision-making process of my life because I want to be obedient and faithful to him. Four things to remember, four things to do. Let me challenge you. Don't be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. We've invested a lot of time in the book of Exodus. My hope is that we're different as a result of it. My hope is that we trust him more because we've seen in, in, in word form who he is, his character, but we've also seen he, he be that way to his people. He, we've seen him be a good God. We've seen him be a gracious and merciful God. We've seen him be slow to anger. That's how he's been to Israel in the book of Exodus. That's how he is to us. Let us cling to him. Let us cling to him in faith. Youth, cling to him in faith. Kids, cling to him in faith. And hey, when you fail, because you will, right? You're gonna, we're gonna have kids who have grown up in our church who have been the good kids for so long and they're gonna step into middle school or high school and they're gonna make some grave mistake. And you're gonna wonder and worry, hey, how's our church gonna respond to that or how are my parents gonna respond to that? I can tell you how God's gonna respond to it. He's gonna say, come on back. Some of you may have made mistakes already in 2024 and you're like, man, could God still love me after doing this? Yeah, he's good and he's gracious, right? And he's forgiving and he's revealed himself that way. We ought to trust him more because of our study in Exodus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for what you've revealed to us. We thank you so much for what we've seen in this lengthy study. God, we're praying and asking that, that you would help us as we go forward to be a people who trust you more as a result. Lord, help us to, to, to believe in your goodness, to cling to your goodness. And when we, when we doubt your goodness and when we fail to trust your goodness, help us to come back knowing that you're gracious and you're merciful. Lord, help us to, to want to follow you every step of the way. Lord, help us to look for that cloud, that presence, and to follow it faithfully. Lord, help us as we go through trials and challenges to cry out to you for help and to know and believe that you hear, that you listen, that you care, and that you respond in the best ways possible. We thank you for being this type of God. We thank you for coveting with us and calling us into relationship with you. We praise you and thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.